Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter podcast leading into the NFL divisional playoffs. And to help preview them, we will bring on Monday Night Football analyst Lewis Riddick, the former Browns defensive back, to talk about his first year in the booth in Monday Night Football as well as what a postseason victory means in Cleveland and whether the Browns have any chance of upsetting the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend. And we'll be joined by the former Browns quarterback himself, Bernie Kosar, who understands what a playoff win in Cleveland means to that fan base as much as anybody else. And then we'll be joined by the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, as he breaks down each of the divisional playoff matchups this weekend with some incredibly interesting storylines. And as we start the divisional playoffs, some teams are in the throes of the playoff hunt. And other teams are in the throes of a search for a new head coach and or general manager. And the interesting part is the head coach, as difficult as that is, it's even harder to hire a general manager in the NFL. And here's the reason I say that. In talking to some executives this week, what's interesting is when they speak to the head coaches, they see their decisions on the field. They see their weekly, daily, regular press conferences with the media. Coaches have personas that owners and executives know by the time they get to interview them. So for instance, if Robert Sala is going to interview with the Detroit Lions or Atlanta Falcons or New York Jets, they've seen how his defense and unit performs. They've watched him in press conferences. They understand what it takes. But if you are the Carolina Panthers and you're interviewing another 49er executive, Adam Peters, what do you know about Adam Peters' record? Are there records of press conferences that he's conducted the way that he would have to conduct them for your franchise? Do we know what decisions he's actually made in free agency and the draft? Because there are a lot of people that take credit for drafting a lot of players and a lot of executives that distance themselves from the decisions of other players who don't make it. And so it's just interesting to talk to some of these owners and executives who are having a hard time discerning what's real and what's not, who's qualified and who's not, who's made great decisions and who hasn't. How would they handle the media and press conferences? And how have they done that in the past? Because there is not a lot of evidence for the general managers. So there are a lot of challenges for a lot of people in the league at this point in time. The challenge of the playoffs is huge. The pressure that it brings along is huge. But I know that some owners and executives are really struggling hiring general managers and trying to figure out how to base their decision. Just an interesting thought as some of these teams wrap up their searches. And there may not have been a team that faced a bigger challenge this past week or all season than the Cleveland Browns. Imagine going into a game without your head coach, four coaches in all, four players, including your best offensive lineman and your best cornerback, without practicing until Friday and having to beat your division rival. And there was a quote that my friend and colleague Peter King used in his column on Monday morning in which Andrew Berry said that the general manager of the Oklahoma City Thunder, Sam Presti, told him, and I'm going to read to you, how you define a professional is his ability to perform at the highest level in the toughest circumstances. This week has made me think of that. That was Andrew Berry to Peter King in his column, how you define a professional is his ability to perform at the highest level in the toughest circumstances. And I thought that's a great quote. That is so true. Sam Presti is so wise, the NBA general manager. And Andrew Berry remembered those words as the Cleveland Browns headed into the toughest week that they handled. And Andrew Berry and Kevin Stefanski have the right disposition for that exact type of situation because both men are so even keeled. They don't get high. They don't get low. They remain balanced the whole time. And that's what made them obvious choices to the Cleveland Browns. That's what made them the excellent coach and general manager that they are. And that's what gives this 
Cleveland Browns team a chance to continue to thrive this postseason, but more important in future seasons because they have the right leadership going forward. Men who don't bat an eyelash at times like this. All right, before we get into today's episode, first I want to tell you that the NBA season is underway. And if you want to stay up to date on all things professional basketball, download and subscribe to The Low Post with Zach Lowe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, the ESPN Monday Night Football Analyst, the former defensive back of the Cleveland Browns, the former personnel executive for the Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington football team, my colleague, my friend, Lewis Riddick. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Adam. Lewis. What's up? How are you? I'm good. I'm thank good. you, thank you for your time. You know, listen. When I asked you if you would come on the podcast this week, I came on with the idea. You know what? Let's bring on Lewis. The Monday Night Football season is wrapped up. He was a part of the broadcast on Sunday between the Baltimore Ravens and the Tennessee Titans. Got an up close look at Baltimore. See how mm-hmm. he feels about Baltimore going into Buffalo as well. And then, yeah. lo and behold, after you tell me you'll do it, after that happens. The Cleveland Browns win their first playoff game since 1994 and the first road win since 1969 in the playoffs. And the Eagles fire their head coach. So if I could draw up the perfect guest for this week's podcast to comment on Monday Night Football, the Cleveland Browns and the Philadelphia Eagles, it would be none other than Lewis Riddick. I'm so proud of my foresight and vision that I had Sunday morning that I had no idea that would marry together all these topics. Hey, man, I'm, I'm just telling you, 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 not only do you report the news, man, you anticipate the news. <laughs> you, you're taking your game to a whole new level, Chester. Well, level. It, well, thank you, Lewis. And I appreciate, so when, when I bring up those three things, and I, I think we're going to go in those three things in order. Monday Night Football, okay. it, it wraps up, right? Yep, yep. It was, it was one of your career goals to do that. You've okay. done it. Absolutely. And I'm curious, how did doing it match up to the idea of what you had of it? I, I knew at the beginning of the season that it was going to be a unique challenge, despite the fact that this is, you know, that, that this, all the excitement surrounding being a part of this crew and being a part of this iconic brand and how big this production would be. I knew that it was going to be unique only because of the different challenges that we were going to face as far as trying to operate through a COVID pandemic and the fact that there weren't going to be any fans. We weren't going to be able to still, you know, develop the same kind of, um, the same kind of unity and camaraderie with the entire operation overall, because we all had to operate in our own little pods. And, and I knew that that was going to make things a little bit more difficult, but it didn't, it didn't dampen my enthusiasm. So as we moved through the year and we had all these different Zooms, like every week I would like emphasize to everyone on the group, you know, that just how, how I thought things were trending, how every, how Jimmy Platt thought things were trending, how Phil Dean thought things were trending, the director and the producer of Monday Night Football. And that we should all be taking, you know, a lot of comfort and a lot of pride and kind of like tipping our cap to ourselves over the fact that we were we were excelling despite it being, you know, such unique and challenging circumstances. And I think as we moved into the last quarter of the season in particular, for myself and for the crew overall, we really saw ourselves hitting our stride. I think we had some great games the last in the last quarter of the season in particular, probably, you know, topped, topped off by the um, – by obviously the wild card game, but the but the game between the Ravens and the Browns in Cleveland that was just spectacular, and I think that because of the way the season ended and because of the strength of the games that we had at the end of the year, 
I think all of us felt as though under the circumstances, we had the best possible year that any crew could possibly have. I was, I mean, it, it was kind of emotional doing the, the wild card game because there were actually fans there. You knew the game felt bigger, even in this environment. The two teams were excellent. We had a lot of familiarity. We had covered the Ravens multiple times. We had covered the Titans at the beginning of the year. So, I mean, it was just, uh, I think overall, the, the season trended the right way. It was better than I ever could have expected, especially, again, considering everything that we were up against. And everyone should probably feel very, very good about the product we were able to put on. What was the most challenging part of traveling during a pandemic? It's, it's the stress, Adam. It's really, it's the stress. I mean, when you travel, I mean, it's still the same as you travel any other time as far as going to the airport, going through security, you know, making travel, you know, reservations and all. It's just the stress of knowing that, to be honest with you, not everyone uh, looks at this pandemic and treats this pandemic the same as maybe yeah. you do. Not everyone takes the same precautions as you do. Now, when you're on airplanes and in airports, it's mandated that you wear masks at all times and all. And um, so at least that part of it's good, but it, it's it's just knowing that the virus is all around you and you can't see it. You don't know where it is. And you're trying to duck and dodge an invisible enemy. That that was the most stressful part. I mean, to be honest with you, the testing part, I mean, I didn't mind that. And we'd have to get in, you know, a day or two earlier than normally at Monday night crews would have to get in because of testing, because of making sure you could clear and then maybe go to practice if, if it was available to you and all. So we we spent more time on the road than I think crews in the past. But it's just not just not knowing where where is where's the virus. You, you just don't know. So you had to be on your guard at all times. When we traveled last year for Mother Night Countdown, the pregame show, people would go down to the bar, have dinner. You'd see yeah. people in rest. Was there much of that this year, or was everybody just confined to their hotel rooms the entire time while you traveled? Yeah, there was none of that. Zero, absolutely none. When you got to the hotel, the first thing you did. If you had missed all the testing windows for that day, if you got there late at night, say on a Thursday, you went right to your room, you tested early the next morning, maybe between 6 and 8 a.m., 10 and 12, 3 and 5, 5 and 7. Those were usually how the testing windows were set up. And once you tested, you were required to you know, quarantine in your room until you got your test results back. And then after you get your test results back, you're not allowed to mingle with anyone else outside of your you know, direct working group because let's just say that but let's just say before you even tested, without knowing what the results were, if you were hanging out with someone else at a different group and you wind up getting your results back and it's positive, not only do you knock yourself out, you knock out someone else in that group too. So you could wind up just really, you know, compromising the entire group. So we, I, I became very, very intimate with my rooms. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in hotel rooms, man, just sitting there watching TV, watching tape taking walks by myself. I mean, it, it was it was a very solitary experience, a lot of Zoom, which makes it all the more gratifying, though, in the end. Yeah. You know, a lot of NFL people say that this year, like when the teams travel and they're on the road together or they're in a city for a week, they're like, you can't do it. They ordered the Niners, as an example. Went to Arizona yeah. for a month. And the only time they yep. got to see each other was when they practiced because then they go back to the hotel Everybody would go to their room, and it's not like being on an extended road trip. It's not like being in training camp where you're around everybody, where the camaraderie is so great. It is such an isolating, lonely experience the entire year. That's what the virus has done, right? Is cut everybody yeah. off from the outside world. No, no doubt. I mean, we had we had the uh, the Buffalo San Francisco game that first week that San Francisco was in Arizona, and that they knew they were going to be there for a while. And that's one of the things that Kyle Shanahan talked about was. He wasn't he wasn't so much he wasn't worried about the fact that they necessarily had to move from San Francisco to Arizona. He understood that. He was worried about the the effect it was going to have on the mental on the mental state of the players because they were so isolated and that they weren't they weren't allowed to go anywhere. They still wouldn't see one another. And honestly, I mean they had moved we had they had gone from Santa Clara down to, you know, the, the Scottsdale area where the positivity rate was was one of the worst in the country, but at the same time, that area wasn't shut down. Everything was pretty much open. So he was worried about players being so isolated away from their families that they would want to do something to kind of relax and go out in public and let their guard down. Next thing you know, you know their their positivity rate starts creeping up on the football team. So it was 
it was tough. He talked a lot about that. I think every team was very much so concerned about that this year. Coaches talked about it. I mean, I know you talked to those guys. They can get to the cities. You know, usually groups want to get together and just hang out and talk a little bit. None of that. That was all shut down this year. So it, it was a challenge. It was a big-time challenge. All right, one of the things that was not shut down this past week was the Cleveland Browns, your former team. You played for them. Mm. What was that like for you as a former Brown to watch? And what do you think the city is like now that the Browns have won their first playoff game since 1994? <laughs> the very, that, that first play where, you know, Pouncey snapped the ball over Ben Ted, I think you got to be kidding. You, you got to be kidding me that this game is being started like this. And usually when you play the Steelers, and in my experience is too, more times than not, that was, those were the kinds of things as far as bad luck that were happening to us as a member of the Browns, and that would happen to the Browns. That's not that's not the way the ball would usually bounce. And then you, you kind of knew when, when things started getting going and the momentum kept rolling and all that frustration from all those years you could tell was being kind of released through this version of that football team. And then all the talk that the Steelers had done well, that Juju Smith-Schuster in particular had done saying the Browns is the Browns and that they're the same old team. You could just feel it all kind of coming to a head right there on that football field. And here's the, here's the thing, Adam, too. Every single team we talked to this year talked about the fact that you needed to manufacture, like, intrinsic internal energy without fans yeah. being there. Yeah. And you could tell that the, the Browns had found a way to manufacture energy because – the Steelers had given them some bull board material. They got tired of getting beat up by their quote unquote big brother. So they were, and they didn't have, you know, their head coach and all. So they were riding this emotional wave. The Steelers looked totally flat and they couldn't respond. They just couldn't stop the bleeding. And with no fans in that stadium, usually, you know, Heinz Field is rocking. The fans would have helped them get back in it. They didn't have them. Hmm. And you knew, you just kind of knew right away that's it. Unless some kind of miracle happens, they're not going to be able to come back because it's just a different environment now. It really is for, for teams that don't have fans like that. So about- I, I was, yeah, I mean, I, I was I was happy for the Browns. I knew the Steelers were going to be in trouble. Um, I knew that the, that you know when this game was over, you saw how Baker was running around and Miles Garrett and Kareem Hunt. Yep. I mean, all these guys were ecstatic, and, and in Cleveland. That was that was a long time coming. The fans have been waiting for that for a long time. I cannot, you know, emphasize enough just how heated that rivalry is, and how much over the years the Browns and that city of Cleveland has felt second rate and second has played second fiddle to Pittsburgh, and so for them to beat them and beat them like that to where it was almost it was embarrassing for the Steelers. There's a lot of people walking around Northern Ohio right now still on a high, no question about it, no matter what happens the rest of the way. There are so many aspects to it that are so cool. And you brought up Kevin Stefanski being away from the team. And I couldn't believe that he watched that game in his basement alone, phone off, 60-inch color (laughs) television, HD. (laughs) And the funny part about it is, and this happens because – I know in my house, there's one room that I go to watch games and my family on Sunday night will have dinner and I go in there and there's like a little bit of a time difference between the two TVs, like two, three seconds behind one of the TVs is. And so Kevin Stefanski was telling the story this week, how the game started and he knew something great happened because he could hear upstairs his family screaming and jumping around, stomping. And obviously in the basement, he was on a delay a little bit. And then so he saw what they saw, his family upstairs a few seconds later and got to see the Browns opening touchdown that gave him the 7 of That's how the head coach of the Cleveland Browns consumed that game, which is just mind-boggling to think about. Yeah, I mean, that, isn't that 2020 in a nutshell right there, man? Expect the unexpected. I mean, there's a story, that, story after story about how weird and challenging and unique this season has been. And you're right, the head coach of an NFL team watching a game <laughs> in his basement by himself and in his own house. He's the one who's finding out the information second. Yeah. yeah I mean, that that's just, I mean, that that's just why well, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> I, I thought a lot about Kevin Stefanski uh, last week, man, about how, like, can, can you just imagine those emotions that you would have? You like, there's so much invested into playing the game, playing the game, preparing to play the game and then playing the game. And at this point in the season, coaches are worn out, man. They've been going 16, 17-hour days for 
since the end of August. So they're exhausted. You get to this point, you're in the postseason against a heated rival, and you test positive, and you can't even be there. I couldn't, I mean, see, that, that's the mental grind that this season has been. And, you, you know, the postseason is kind of a reward. That's one of the ways I felt. Like at the end, of, like when things got ready to kick off in, in Tennessee, like this is our reward to be here in this wild card atmosphere with 15,000 fans. It, it was a great atmosphere. It, it makes it all worth it. Imagine what Kevin was feeling. Like this is how I get to enjoy this. Yeah. Didn't hear my basis. I mean, it makes you so. It, it's just so challenging. It's it, it, it's heartbreaking and it's, and it's gratifying at the same time. They deserve to win that game, and I hope they put on a good show. Even though they're going up against a mighty, 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 mighty explosive opponent this week. And you know the Chiefs very well. Do we give the Browns any chance of winning that game? You give every team a chance because you know how it is. I mean, it's any given yeah. Sunday, right? And that, that's not just a cliche. I mean, you know that. You've been covering the league long enough. It, it happens. No one thought that they would that the game would have started in, in uh, Pittsburgh the way it started like that. No, I, no, nobody. Nobody would have saw that happen. They, they, they were supposed to have no shot, Cleveland, that is, to win that game. No shot whatsoever. Hmm. And this, this league in this year in particular show, has shown you time and time again, don't assume anything. Don't assume. You know Kansas City's powerful. You know they can light you up like like Broadway in no time flat. Yep. But who knows, man? That's why you just want to. That's why you can't miss any of these games because you don't know what the heck's going to happen. I think Kansas. I think Kansas City's going to have its hands full this weekend. How about that? Yep. I I I wouldn't be shocked in the least. I wouldn't yeah. be shocked because Cleveland has some of the formula to be able to, to oh, yeah. give Kansas City problems. Oh yeah. Ball I, control, I, all yeah. that stuff. You know. I, I agree with that. Now, one of the teams you also covered this year was the Philadelphia Eagles, a team you work for, Philadelphia Eagles. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia Eagles on Monday fire their head coach, Doug Peterson. If you were still a part of the Eagles organization, what would you want your team to do next? Yeah, I mean, you, you have to now figure out exactly how do you, how do you, how do you reconnect with your franchise quarterback? In order to get him back on track to where, you know, everyone keeps always saying, and I've said it myself, you know, that he, in 2017, this was one of the hottest quarterbacks in the NFL. They thought they had found the one. I mean, I'm not even necessarily saying, that, how do we recapture that? Just how do you recapture and kind of, kind of reintegrate and bring back a player from a mental standpoint that clearly looked like he had checked out and or was broken or beaten down or just needed to be somewhere else? What do I need to do? first and foremost, to get his mind right, make sure that this team understands that we're we're about trying to build this thing and win in the short term, but still build long term. And what does that look like going forward in terms of the next head coach? So it's really like those three things, the quarterback, the team, the head coach, and really the head coach is really the one who's going to help, is going to crystallize all of that for you. So now it's, what does our next head coach look like? What is his profile? What's his personality? Does he have a relationship from, with Carson from the past? Does Carson like, – yeah, so there, there's a lot of things for them to do. But, the, I mean, the, they need to nail the profile of this coach and the relationship that he can have both with Carson and with his football team overall. Because I think this was a tough season for them. This is a tough season for them organizationally. And there were some cracks in the foundation that turned out to be like huge, just, just kind of like team altering type of just chasms in this organization this year. And they need to heal all of that. They need to fix a lot of different things. And, and that means, you know, now starting with this head coaching search, they have to get this one right. And everyone says they need to get it right, but they really need to get it right from a relationship standpoint because there's some, there's a lot of what seems to be trust issues going on there that they have to fix because you know this if they don't fix those it always manifests itself on subpar play on the field at some point in time you can't run from it for long and they're going to have to make sure they address that you know what's interesting we go back to the draft of 2016 we're all talking about Carson Wentz but I don't know that Jared Goff isn't in a similar situation to the one that Carson Wentz is in right it seems like the Rams wanted to play John Wolford last weekend we don't know what they've decided for Saturday's game against Green Bay, but even if they 
play, Jared Goff, do we think that the Rams are going into the offseason saying we've got our quarterback, no questions asked? And I think there are questions surrounding both quarterbacks that went 1-2 in the draft of 2016, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz this offseason. What do you think of that, Lewis? Yeah, yeah. I think I think for different reasons there's questions, obviously. I mean, I think, you know, in, in Philadelphia, I, I really do believe that they're still – they're going to try and do everything they possibly can to make sure that Carson realizes his potential. Reading the words and listening to the words of Jeffrey Lurie, he sounds committed to that. Mm-hmm. In L.A., whew, it, it seems it seems a little bit different because, you know, their team's in a different spot. Their head coach is rock solid. The relationship between him and the team builders seems to be rock solid. Their team is trending in the right way. They're in the playoffs. They're, they're playing well. So I, I think this this issue with, with Jared Goff seems a little bit different. Although it's one that can become explosive, especially if Wolford, if, if Sean continue, you know, decides to let Wolford start here in the divisional round and Jared goes back to the bench. Yeah, it, that could become an explosive issue for them. But I think they're they're in a different they're they're in a much better place to be able to handle it. But yeah, that that's not that's not ideal. It's not ideal at all because of the commitment that they made to him uh, financially, just like it's not ideal to be in this situation for Philly because of the commitment they made to Carson and you saw what happened there. But I think, you know, LA's in a, in a much better place with that. And I, and I think Sean, I think you trust Sean to make the right decision as far as what's best for the football team in the short term and what would give them the best chance to be the NFC representative in the Super Bowl. But if it is, if that decision happens to be Wolford and they wind up Say making it to the Super Bowl, oh, yeah, you're you're going to be breaking a lot of news in some form or fashion on this team once you know once we get into February and March because I mean, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? A guy who no one half the people in the NFL, three quarters of the people in the NFL didn't even know becomes your starting. I mean, is that really could that be their long term answer? Right. I mean, I, I I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting though, and this will be. A topic for another podcast, right? But we yeah. all knew that there were going to be quarterback questions this offseason with the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo, the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. What the Jets were going to do at two with Sam Darnold or drafting a quarterback. How about the Dolphins with Tua? Now we've got yeah. the Houston Texans and Deshaun Watson suddenly is an issue. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Rams are an issue. The Panthers need a quarterback. Drew Brees may be retiring. Ben Roethlisberger, what's going to happen there? There are more quarterback Philip Rivers in Indianapolis. I mean, we can go yeah. on and on here. The, the point is, there are a good dozen, maybe more, quarterback storylines heading into the offseason. And like I said to you at the outset of this conversation, I reached out to you about one thing, talking about your Monday Night Football experience. And before mm-hmm. I could get you on the air, the Browns won their first postseason game. The Eagles fired their head coach. And there are all these topics, all these additional situations to address. And it's going to be like that this offseason in football with all the quarterback moves that we have ahead. It's going to be unbelievable. Yeah, it's the ultimate reality show. And people will be even more you know, thirsty for information now because, it, as you laid out, the reality show really centers around you know the musical chairs as it relates to quarterback play. And that's what drives interest in the NFL. We know that quality quarterback play, quality quarterback, I don't want to say controversy, but quality quarterback conversation. And this, and this, that's what this is because it's, um, look, we know teams can't compete at the highest level on a, on a sustained basis unless they have that position nailed down and have a good plan for it. And there's some, there's some teams that the team builders are going to be charged with making sure they have a quality plan in place Otherwise, it could just change the entire, entire direction of your franchise. And I mean, that, 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 that's really what drives the news in the NFL. That's what is the most intriguing type of news. And you know, there's going there's to be, be a busy offseason because we don't even really know what this offseason is going to look like either as far as teams yeah. being able to get information on players, whether it be free agency or the draft. What are you going to be allowed to do? How up close and personal are you going to be allowed to get to the draftable, draftable players? What are free agent visits going to look like? Are there even going to be free agent visits? I mean, it's, it's a crapshoot in every way, shape, or form. And with all that kind of news that you just laid out being up in the air, <laughs> you tell me. You, you tell me what teams are going to look like come, you know, May, June, July, and, and going into the 2021 season. This is going to be an interesting, interesting six months, five, six months, because you just don't know what it's going to look like procedurally 
And therefore, you don't know what it's going to look like, you know, from a transaction standpoint, who's going to go where and who's going to end up where. Yeah, it, it, it always is. Right. And and so mm-hmm. um, we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, Lewis, I really appreciate taking the time today. Thank you very much. As always, we'll have you back on to do the quarterback roulette carousel at some point <laughs> in time. Absolutely. I enjoy it, my man. Thanks for having me. And there is the former Browns defensive back, Lewis Riddick. And now on to the former Browns quarterback, Bernie Kozar. Hey, good afternoon, Bernie. Bernie! <laughs> That's a good word. <laughs> Long time no speak. Yes, and good to be talking to you on such a favorable, positive um, time here in Cleveland. How have you been, Bernie? I'm doing fantastic, man. Yeah. Doing fantastic. Almost, you know, Adam? You know, we started talking about this quite a few months ago, actually probably before this mm-hmm. pandemic, yep. but I kept up, I've kept up with my health wellness, that holistic clinics yep. that I've been, been doing. So okay. actually through this pandemic, the, um, the holistic treatments I was doing for, to avoid surgeries actually build the immune system up for the COVID virus. So it's actually been some of the best I felt. So the people within the treatments, it's it's been really, really groundbreaking. And how do they work? You know what? I am I'm a big um, I'm a big like Vitamix juicer now. Yep. So smoothies and juicing. So for a inbred Slovak who grew up on kibasi and pierogies for breakfast, <laughs> um, it's evolving. It's evolving out of that. And then and then I do I, I do IV therapy. Of, of vitamins yeah so if you take so vitamins and supplements you end up taking you know through through pills and stuff only eight to twelve percent absorb into the body yeah. so through these ivs um through hydration right the vitamin c's the the b complexes optimizing your d levels no i mean nothing really rocket science yeah. just putting good stuff in your body and not not putting the other stuff in it what were your biggest health issues if you don't want me asking bernie what were they well, at, you know what? I've had 30, 35 plus surgeries, over 70 some broken bones with what? all those concussions, all those concussions and stuff I've had. Adam, I've had a dozen seizures. I've been in a coma twice for three to four days at a time. I've gone 72, 96, 120 hours, three, four, five days for decades not being able to sleep. So to be able to kind of get off of that cycle to be able to figure out to not have headaches like that, to not have, be afraid to fly, to, to not have seizures, um, to be able to do that from a healthy perspective from, uh, it's just been, it's been amazing. Bernie, yeah. is that, is that related to football? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Those concussions. The, and, and we're working a lot. That's why you haven't seen me much from the football perspective. Yeah. Um, because, uh, um, we've been doing a lot of the holistic stuff and we've, um, the, some of the stuff that affects us 50 and 60, 70 year old ex athletes, football players, sadly is very similar that we're finding for the combat vets that are coming back from Iraq, Afghanistan, that are getting discharged from the military. These kids are under late twenties, early thirties, suffering some of the same head trauma PTSD that us ex-athletes are. So some of the stuff that I'm having success with from a holistic way, treating us older players like myself, we've been able now to start working with some, some of the younger, um, younger people from, from the military perspective that are suffering um, some of the post post uh, PTSD, some of the, um, the concussion, some of the same head trauma type issues that us older ex-players are going through. So you said 35 surgeries, 70 broken bones, comas. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know we're here to talk about the Browns and the and the playoffs and stuff, but that's, yeah, and that's that's something that's uh, it's really been affecting me. And I went, I, I started doing these treatments probably about four or five years ago, and yeah. I've been fine-tuning them from a holistic approach to them. So, so that again, literally you could um, be able to be healthy um, from a holistic way and and feel good without the headaches, without having to take medication, without having to keep doing those surgeries. With those surgeries, Bernie, 
what bothers you today still? What is an issue? Like you've had 35 of them. What What is an issue for you today? Well, it's interesting slash I was just working on my right foot and hip. And if you remember my first surgery back, I played Monday night football against the Miami Dolphins and John Offerdahl in like 1991, yeah. rolled my ankle and I snapped in the first series and ended up playing the whole rest of the game on it um, to really make sure it was really broken. Well, that ended up getting a plate, a plate and six screws in there like 30 years ago. And um, back in those days, they used to take, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not blaming doctors and stuff. Just like me and you are talking on the cell phone. Now we couldn't have done this 30 years ago. Technology has gotten so much better. Just like, just like medicine has gotten so much better. But when I broke my ankle back then, they took part of your hip out. They took, they did a hip surgery to take a chunk of your hip to put it in your ankle to hopefully grow your ankle back. Well, neither one of them worked, so I had a hip problem and an ankle problem, you know, for 30 years. So over the, you know, those are the, that was just the first of 70 some broken bones. From, was it was, was from it worth playing. it? Was it worth it, Bernie? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't trade it. I mean, I loved, you know what, Adam, I loved playing. Yep. And I used to joke when I played that we knew we were hurting our body and we figured technology and medicine would catch up. And, and as we got into the, the 21st century and the, the third decade, the century, we thought that there'd be people that would really be evolving and making new discoveries in terms of physical therapy and healing. I didn't think it'd be myself trying to heal myself yeah. and my friends when I was doing this. And I don't think if I would have pl- would not have played or I would not have um, experienced all that awesome um, stuff from the, from playing that I really think helps build up your confidence, your, um, your, your self-esteem um, and that. But if I wouldn't have gone through that and had those injuries, um, I don't think I'd have been able to understand how now to heal them. So if I wouldn't have gone through that, I don't think I would have been able to figure out now how to actually fix not only myself, but I'm I'm not saying this is a commercial, but I'm incredibly proud, Adam, to be able to help out so many of my friends, teammates, and other people now um, with this holistic way of getting healthy and feeling better. And again, I want to be very clear. We never even discussed this before the holistic way. So where can people find information on this holistic way that you're referring to? I I don't even know the name of it. I don't know anything about it. So again, it's organic. It's real. Tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really haven't been and I'm not in me and I'm not even telling you today from a promotional standpoint, because um, it's a small, it's a, just a small, um, self-help business that I started for myself and my friends. And I've been actually putting it together to how to name it and how to articulate it and how to get the message out because there's such a need for it that as soon as I talk about it, my phone blows up and so many people want help today, tomorrow. I mean, this I'm, I'm calling you from um, outside of Cleveland. I'm basically the northern end of Appalachia from, and from Ohio all the way down to Florida. The, the opiate issue has become such a main issue with opiates and the, the uh, fentanyl and the overdose rates. And this, this pandemic um, has, has really led to um, um, even increased, um, increased levels of of the addiction therapy, the alcohol abuse, the um, the mental illness, the depressions, and and how do we how do we end up really evolving to to fix and help these issues? There's so many people that need that right now that um, I have I don't know how to make enough of myself and the program to actually because it's very hands on to actually get the message out and actually get um, um, this out to people because so many people need it that um, it's too many come right now. So I'm actually not even promoting it until we get a little bigger setup and a bigger clinic and a bigger uh, facility because so many people are coming out of um, 
out of almost desperation. Well, when, and I when really you... feel almost a responsibility now to try to get the message out to really just help people now. When you're ready to promote it and give us the names and the websites for where people, you come back on the podcast and you'll tell people who need help, where to get that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And and and, sure. and and I'd be happy to do that. It'd be great if you could do that. And I wish you continued success in the venture. And the reason I reached out to you this week, as you know, I wanted to get you on just to give me a sense of what it's like in the Ohio area, the Cleveland area with the Browns winning a playoff game. You are linked to that franchise forevermore. You always will be former quarterback in Cleveland from 1985 through 1993, first round draft pick and a supplemental draft. So this win, I would think brought a lot of happiness to a lot of people in the Ohio area. And just wanted to get your sense of what it's like there with that win. Yeah, Adam, I would say it brought a lot of excitement, a lot of happiness to us in Ohio and in particular Northeastern Ohio, for sure. (laughs) You know, the, the 2020 year, Um, And the pandemic has been well talked about in terms of um, uh, what's going on in society and, 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 and how that's been such a unique, challenging year. Well, the Browns fans, since we've come back in 1999, we've been challenged for this century in terms of winning games. (laughs) So to have a, so to have a playoff victory, one to have a playoff game for the first time in 18 years, but then to have a victory like that and against our big rival, the Pittsburgh Steelers, for a, um, an old man, an older man like me, old quarterback growing up in Youngstown, Ohio, halfway between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, even sweeter to get that playoff win against the Steelers. No doubt about it. Bernie, you're not old. You're 57 years old. Come on. Let's not age yourself any more than you need to right now. Come on. I still got a couple throws in me, but Baker <laughs> Baker's got it covered. <laughs> He's been pretty good. What do you think of him? It's Baker's been phenomenal. His leadership, his confidence, it really you could see it really translating to to the team, uh, the organization, and and how we've evolved from it from what's happened again through the. Again, I don't say it to be negative nor funny, but it's really been this century, and for the first time in. So basically 18 years to not only be in the playoffs, but to, to win it without our head coach. It says a lot for Baker and not only his athletic ability and playing out there, but his leadership, his intangibles that he brings to the organization, to the team, to the huddle. And when you're playing at Pittsburgh on Sunday night in the playoffs without your head coach, I think it really magnifies his leadership abilities to be able to pull out a victory like that. Now, the organization hired you back in October of 2009 as a consultant. Do you still do any work with them at all, Bernie? Yeah, I enjoy doing some of the marketing and and, um, media work with the team. You know, this 2020 year has been unique slash disappointing in terms of how do you go to games, in terms of contact with with people. You know, you almost have to be in a bubble to and, and somewhat be isolated from the players um, at times and coaches in terms of it. Um, but I enjoy working some with the team um, in terms of the media side of it, but the, the players and what they've put together from an organizational standpoint this year, it's really, really, it's been fun to watch. What has stood out to you about this team? You know, what's, what's stood, standing out about this team and it's as an as a 57 year old older school player that loves the old school game. You know, if, if Adam, when me and you and me were talking just two, three, four years ago, mm-hmm. the game was four, five receivers, spread the ball out, throw it. Yep. It's really refreshing to see, especially for me in Northeast Ohio, for a guy who uh, had a great running backs and Ernest Biner and Kevin Max. Um, to see the two backs, the multiple tight ends, the ability for us to run the ball. Um, we've been able now to almost go back to that old school type of football where um, you're able to play physical, running it, and and not um, making a, a physical presence. And when you're able to play physical like mm-hmm. our team is, it really travels well. And for uh, us as a wild card team, 
you know, Adam, I know you know this, typically what a great advantage to be the home field in a playoff game. Heck, going to Heinz Field, you know, where you would have 75,000 people. We know what it's like to go to Kansas City um, having 75,000, 80,000 crazed Chiefs fans. But what a perfect year now to be a wild card team, to be able to go on the road with a physical running game like mm. we have and a defensive front four that could put pressure. So this travels, and if this, this is probably the best year to be a wild card team with a physical team like us because this, this type of team does travel. So how much of a chance do you give your Cleveland Browns against the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional playoff round? Well, you know, when people in the pregame show um, last week before the Steeler game were, were talking about and they were asking me what I thought. And I'm not saying this to talk smack. and absolutely not saying this to make create bulletin board material. But as players, you go into, into, that game, into all these games thinking you're going to win. You think you have an ultimate chance. And ultimately, before the Steeler game, people thought that we were ludicrous in thinking that we can go there without our head coach and a young team and, and that streak that we've had of not winning in Pittsburgh and be able to go in there and very confidently feel like we're going to win the game. Well, again, it's, it's early part of this week. We're not trying to create any bulletin board material, but absolutely feel like we could go in and win this game. When you have two running backs and a running game like we have with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and we're able to use those multiple personnel, personnel groups, Adam, with, with the multiple tight end groups, um, it's tough to – it's tough to stop our offense. And then with Sheldon Richardson and Miles Garrett, with that pressure up front, it's a, this is a tough task for, for teams right now. And granted, it's Kansas City and a Super Bowl defending Super Bowl team, but this is what makes the NFL so special. Hey, Bernie, I really appreciate taking some time. It's nice to hear your voice. You have an open invitation to come back anytime and promote whatever product you're working on, whenever you're ready to spread the word and spread the product to other people. And I really, really appreciate it. It's nice to hear your voice. That sounds great, Adam. I'll take you up on that and go Brown. You matter and stay healthy for 2021. <laughs> Just text me when you're ready, Bernie. We'll be in touch. And there he is the former Browns, Cowboys and Dolphins quarterback, Bernie Kozar, the two-time Pro Bowl quarterback who also won a national championship at the University of Miami in 1983, nice to catch up with Bernie Kozar. And from Bernie Kozar to our next guest. All right, joining us now on Divisional Weekend, my friend, my colleague, the ESPN statistician, analytics guru, Evan Kaplan. Evan, we've got some great football matchups starting Saturday, 435 Eastern, Rams at Packers. What do we got there? Yeah, this is a, I think all four are good, as you said, Adam. And this is a fun one to kick off the weekend because it's really strength on strength, right? It's the Rams defense against the Packers offense. And during the regular season, the Rams have the number one scoring defense in the NFL. That means they allow the fewest points per game. The Packers have the number one scoring offense scoring the most. It's only the fifth time in the last 20 seasons that we've seen the number one offense and the number one defense meet in the playoffs. Interestingly enough, the defense won three of those previous four matchups. So that's obviously a huge storyline in this one as to whether that Rams defense can disrupt Aaron Rodgers, who is on his way to his third MVP award. And then some of the other things as we dig a little deeper, uh, one, of, one of the notes that I like from this one, and I think you'll like this one, is that the head coaches uh, go way back, right? So yeah, Sean, McVay, yeah, Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur uh, coached together under Mike Shanahan in Washington. And then in McVay's first season with the Rams, where he really helped Jared Goff turn the corner, uh, it was Matt LaFleur who was – his offensive coordinator. Um, so, so that's a nice connection in this one as well. And then I think big picture, it's Aaron Rodgers has done everything that I think Matt LaFleur would have wanted him to do, that any Packers fans would want him to do. And now it's can he get to a second Super Bowl? It's been 10 years, right? It's been a long time since he, he won his only Lombardi trophy. I think the Packers have it set up for them in this run and kind of playing at home. But facing Jalen Ramsey and that Rams defense, Aaron Donald, we'll see about his health. Uh, but this is a, a, an interesting game to kick things off. How about this, Evan? Mm -hmm. Sean McVay is as young as he is, right? 
And if his defensive coordinator this year, Brandon Staley, gets a head coaching job, that will be the third head coach that he's produced in four years. Amazing. He helped Matt LaFleur, the Packers' current coach, get the head coaching job. He helped Zach Taylor, the Mm -hmm. Bengals' head coach, get his head coaching job. And Brandon Staley is going to be a head coach. I don't know if it's going to be this year or not. We'll find out. But Sean McVay, that storyline about him churning out Coaching candidates, I think that that's back on with the emergence of Brandon Staley. And by the way, credit to Sean McVay, who after last season felt like he needed to rejuvenate that coaching staff, bring in some youth and energy. He identified Brandon Staley as one of those guys, brought him in, hired him, and now Brandon Staley is a guy that is interviewing for head coaching jobs, and we'll see if he gets one. And I will just say this right now, and it's Tuesday morning. I think Brandon Staley will emerge as a candidate in Philadelphia. We haven't heard his name uh, yet, but I think he's going to be a candidate there. One of the guys. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and one more thing. Credit to McVay as an offensive guy for realizing that this is this is really a team that's kind of built around their defense, right? Like they are the number one defense in both yards and points. And credit to him for, for not being stubborn and saying, no, this has to be an offense first team. And him saying, you know what? We can win with defense and an offense that kind of runs the ball, controls the clock, play action with golf. So there's a little look at the Rams and the Packers, Evan. And then on Saturday night, 8-15 Eastern, we have the Ravens at the Bills. What do we make there? Yeah, 2018 draft class, right, Adam? Lamar oh, Jackson, yeah. Josh Allen. This is this is going to be there, – there's a lot of great connections in this one. So let's start with the fact that so Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Adam Baker Mayfield, who we'll get to in a second, three first-round quarterbacks from the 2018 draft playing on divisional weekend. That's only happened one other time in NFL history from the same draft, the, the famed 2004 class with Eli, Ben Roethlisberger, and Phillip Rivers. They were all in the divisional round in 2008. So three of the eight quarterbacks left, taken in the first round of the same year. And within their first three years, they're all kind of making strides. So kind of a cool thing there. And when you talk about Lamar Jackson and, and Josh Allen, um, these are the two best quarterbacks since week 13. In terms of total QBR, they are 1-2 in the NFL. So pretty cool that we'll see them meet on divisional weekend and then running the football. So I think everybody knows how great Lamar Jackson is in that run uh, against the Titans in the wild card round changed the entire complexion of that game. And, and the Ravens kind of took off from there and Lamar Jackson's running yards are the best running quarterback in NFL history through this point in his career, only QB ever with a thousand yards in multiple seasons. But you look at Josh Allen, Josh Allen is the QB who leads who who is the player who leads all quarterbacks in rushing touchdowns since his rookie season. So they kind of do it differently. Uh, Yards for Lamar is certainly plenty of touchdowns, but Josh Allen finds the end zone as well on the ground, which we saw against the Colts last week. And then another head coaching coaching connection, right? John Harbaugh and Sean McDermott were both coached under Andy Reid, were his assistants together on the Eagles. Uh, so, so kind of a fun one there as well. What, 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 what jumps out to you in this one, Adam? I think both of these teams, both, are capable of beating the Kansas City Chiefs. And I know the Chiefs took it to the Ravens earlier in the year, but I think the Ravens are playing at a higher level. I said to you last week on this podcast, I still believe it. They didn't look at the first week, but I expect Buffalo to be better this week. I think Buffalo is the most dangerous team in the postseason, including Kansas City. And so I thought it was going to be Pittsburgh at Buffalo. And I think Buffalo would have taken care of business and Baltimore, Kansas City would have been a great game. I think the Chiefs caught a little bit of a break, not having to face either one of these teams in the second round. I don't think the Browns will be an easy out for Cleveland, for Kansas City at all, but I just think that these two teams are really strong, tough, well-coached teams. And again, I'm still sticking with the Buffalo being the dangerous team here and the team that I would not want to face this postseason. That's me. Yeah, no, I- I think it's it's hard to argue with that, and and the the great thing about this game is you always want in the playoffs two teams playing their best. And I mentioned Lamar and and Josh Allen with their total QBRs, but I mean the the Bills when you include the, the wild card round they've won seven straight. When you include the wild card round for the Ravens they've won six straight. I mean these teams have lost combined one time since the beginning of December. They're playing their best football. This this is going to be a fun game Saturday night. All right, Sunday three oh five Eastern. The Cleveland Browns with the return of Kevin Stefanski at Kansas City against the Chiefs. And Evan, before I ask you what stands out here, let me just say this to you. The Chiefs have not played great football this year. Now, they may turn it on here, and we may see that great Chiefs team. But this is a team that 
basically took an unofficial bye in the final week of the regular season, took another bye as the only team in the AFC to get that bye under the new playoff format, and now comes back three weeks later, and they are the team that is covered against the spread, the least of any team in the league. They are a team that hasn't won by more than eight points since the first week in November, I believe. I'm just telling you, this has not been, to date, the same Chiefs dominant team that won the Super Bowl last year. And so there's a window for Cleveland here to do the unthinkable. I'm just saying there's a window here. I don't know that they can, but this is not a Chiefs team that is completely unbeatable in my mind. I would agree with that, and the numbers back it up. So, so let's take a look at it this way. And you mentioned some some great notes about them against the spread, and and how um, they haven't won by a huge margin. So, when you look at the Chiefs' last seven wins, have all come by six or fewer points. And from weeks nine to seventeen, so basically the second half of the season, they were thirteenth in the NFL in points margin. So the Chiefs won. They won all eight games this year, decided by six or fewer points, but. You know, recent wins against the Buccaneers, against the Dolphins, the Saints, they led by at least two touchdowns. They let the opponent back into the game, and they all got pretty close towards the end. So two ways of looking at this, right? Yes, they've been able to win all these games, but the other way of looking at it is eventually this could catch up with them. So they've kind of gotten this formula of slow start in the first quarter, second and third quarters, they're out of this world, and then they kind of let the foot off the gas kind of later in the game. Now, the other thing that I love, I always, I really like this note when it comes to the Chiefs is they're almost like a basketball team and that they get on these scoring runs. Yeah. And, and it's just like an avalanche, right? And we saw it in last year's postseason where they scored, you know, 21 straight, 28 straight, a ridiculous 41 straight against the Texans in the divisional round. So I think that is going to be a key for the Browns in this game. Can you, because we know what's going to happen, right? So, Regardless of whether the Chiefs start off strong or they start off a little slow, I think you know that run's coming. It's almost it almost reminds me of the Warriors when they had Curry and Durant. Like you know the run's coming for the Browns and, and getting Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield. Can you put a drive together that takes some time off the clock, even if you right. get three, even if you get three points out of it, just to stabilize the game and prevent prevent the Chiefs from it's Mahomes to, to Tyreek Hill, then it's Kelsey, then it's you know. And, and, and all of a sudden, they put up 14, 17 points before you, before you blink. Well, here are the two points, right? Number one, the Chiefs, after a bye with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, are virtually unbeatable. In their last uh, six games, they've scored 31 points, 40 points, 31, 40, 51, and 35 after a bye. So the lowest number of points they've had is 31. So they're going to get 31 points this weekend. Can the yeah. Browns get... 35, roughly. Can the Brown and I would say this: the Browns have a team that is built to win in Kansas City. I'm not telling you they will, but Nick Chubb, Kareem, how much do you think this is going to mean to Kareem Hunt to go back there? By oh the my way? gosh, huge! Yep. yep. Boom. Oh, I just thought of that as we're talking, right? As Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt need to control the ball and the clock, Kareem Hunt looms large. That is fascinating to watch this weekend. And again, I'm rooting for the Browns to give him a game. You know, yeah. let the best team win. But I want to see them play with them. I think that would be really cool if they could do that. And I was not surprised at all to see Cleveland win a pitch. Didn't we say that even before we did. last week? I said I, last week before yeah. the COVID really wow. hit Cleveland, I thought Cleveland was going to get Pittsburgh everything it could handle. And right. Because we we uh, we taped before we knew that Kevin Stefanski was out. And, and, and you said that you, you thought Cleveland would be able to win that game. And they did. And I think. Look, defend, they're playing the defending Super Bowl champions in Arrowhead. The Browns, the Browns should, you know, there is no pressure on the Browns at all, right? They, they finally ended their postseason drought. They finally won a playoff game. I know it's still the postseason, so there's pressure, but they should go in there and, you know, kind of fast and loose and whatever happens, happens. Here's my one concern with the Browns, and, and I think Kevin Stefanski will get this handled this week, but do they view their first playoff win since 94, their first road playoff win since 1969 against the division rival. Do they view that as their Super Bowl and let their guard down? And that's what I don't know this week. And I think Kevin Stefanski is a good enough coach to guard against that. But that's the one thing that I'm leery of. All right. And that brings us, Evan, to the what I think the, is the marquee attraction of the weekend. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Tampa at New Orleans, Sunday, 640 Eastern. What do you got here? 
Yeah, this is uh, this is all history, right? So this is so Tom Brady and Drew Brees ranked one two in career touchdown passes in NFL history. Brady is five eighty one in the regular season. Brees five seventy one. Is the first playoff game in NFL history between quarterbacks ranking one two in all time touchdown passes. So that kind of says it all there in terms of their their history and what they've done in the regular season. Brady's forty three. Drew Brees will turn forty two later this week. Actually. It'll be the first time 40-year-olds meet in the playoffs. It'll be the oldest combined matchup. Um, kind of just all the historical notes that as you know, they come towards the end of their careers to be able for them to meet for the first time ever in the playoffs. And Brady faces another Super Bowl winner. The list is huge now of all the different Super Bowl winning quarterbacks he's faced in the playoffs. Pretty cool with the Mannings and, and Russell Wilson and Ben Roethlisberger and go on and on. And then as you get kind of more down to it, we always kind of set it up with the, with the historical notes, right? And then as we get into what's going to happen at the Superdome on Sunday, you talk about the Saints who dominated the Buccaneers in two games during the regular season. They beat them by a combined 46 points. The Week 9 game was was a 35-point loss. It was the largest loss in time Tom Brady's career. But I think as we come into this game, um, Brady's certainly playing at a higher level right now, and he's, yeah. been, he's been really great since the bye. He threw for 381 yards against Washington, the fourth most in his playoff career. Tom Brady is 13-2 and all-time in the divisional round. So even though the Saints are at home, I, I don't know. Let me know. I, I would almost be surprised if the Buccaneers lose this game, as weird as that may sound. Wow, that's how you feel. Huh? You know, here's the yeah. thing. I know that Tom Brady feels like this team has really come together at the right time. It's playing its best football of the season. And it, you know, listen, going to New Orleans in the postseason now, it's not the same as going to New Orleans yeah. in the postseason in seasons past. Not that that's made a difference because New Orleans has lost on the final play of the game. Right. I, I just keep waiting for New Orleans with this team with Breeze and Kamara and Thomas to break through and to make it to the Super. I just keep waiting, waiting, waiting. And I've been wrong every year, whether it's Minnesota a couple of different times. Um, there was another. They lost a the mir- miracle. Yeah, they lost the Minneapolis miracle. They, they the, miss, the missed pass interference call against the Rams. When, right. when and then Minnesota again. When when if and when if the correct call is made and the Saints win that game, we would have seen Brady Breeze in the Super Bowl that year. So we missed out that year. We get Brady Breeze this time. And and I, I, we may have talked about this in the last few weeks, Adam. But with Drew Breeze and this likely possibly being his last year. It reminds me a little bit of the 2015 Broncos. I don't think the Saints defense is as good as that Broncos defense, Mm -hmm. but there are enough pieces around Breeze that maybe they can take him out with another Super Bowl, just like Peyton Manning left on top with that 2015 team. I don't know. It it reminds me a little bit of that situation. I think, you know, if the Saints are able to win this game and they progress on it, I think you'll start hearing more of that. Evan, that's an excellent analogy. I like that. I think that's true. I I don't have a feel on this one. This one, I just want to sit back, yeah. put my feet up on the couch, and watch like everybody else. It's going to be a great matchup. Sunday night, it'll wrap up divisional playoff weekend. Evan, appreciate the time and the insights today, and we'll talk again next week previewing the conference championship games. Sounds good, Adam. Thanks. There is the ESPN analytics guru, statistician, Evan Kaplan, breaking down this weekend's divisional matchup should be great games. Before I sign off this week, I also want to pass along a message that my sister's brother-in-law, Stephen Barone, posted on his Facebook page. Stephen Barone is an infectious disease doctor at a Long Island hospital. And Stephen Barone posted something that came to my attention this week. And I'm going to read to you what he said exactly. It says, most of you know, I do not post often. In fact, it took me a while to figure it out now, but this is too important. I just received my second dose of COVID vaccine. I urge all of you to make sure you sign up too when your time comes. I'm not interested in any Facebook debates. Debates assume there are points to be made on both sides. This is not the case with this vaccine. It may save your life, your families, your friends. So run for it when it's available. Enough said. Mask up and be safe. I thought that was a great message, again, for everybody out there, whether you believe in the virus or not, whether you've had the virus or not, whether you're for it, against it, whatever it may be. If you can get the vaccine when it is offered, please do. I think it would help save a lot of people. Just want to pass along that message 
on my sister's brother-in-law's Facebook page, that from Stephen Burrell. All right, I want to thank our guests this week. I want to thank Lewis Riddick, who now has a little bit of extra time after completing his Monday night football season. I want to I want to thank the former Browns quarterback, Bernie Kosar, for his time and insights. And I want to thank the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, for his time and insights. Also want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for, as I always say, putting up with me and putting this whole podcast together. And to you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we'll be back to review the divisional playoff matchups and look ahead to the conference championship games. Who would have thought that we would be on the brink of having the conference championship games in the challenging season of the COVID season that has been the NFL year? Until then, have a great week. Be well. Stay safe.